Welcome back to crime people, community, whatever you want to call yourselves. Hopefully your Friday is going good despite it being cloudy over where I live. It's going good because we dropped two new series today. We released the postmortem files where we kicked it off with Bonnie and Clyde. We looked into the autopsy, the postmortem, the life, and you know, the general idea of what they did to become one of America's most famous criminals. But on top of that, this is also a new series, and we kick it off with a truck driver named Edward Zrott. But before we get into the episode, if you haven't followed us on Facebook yet, go do so. That's where we post upcoming series, series that we are planning on to make. On top of that, we also include updates on episodes that we had updates through the news on. We even had one with the Golden State Killer and the Zodiac, I think. But anyhow, go follow that, like, and do all of that over there. And if you haven't followed us currently where you are listening to this podcast, go do so. Because our upcoming weeks are going to be really, really great next week for episode two of the Postmortem File, which drops on Wednesday. We go into Casey's Anthony's daughter's death. So her daughter was Kaylee Anthony, but that's going to be next week. And then our Coast to Coast Killers is coming back in July for season two. But anyhow, let's get into this. This is probably going to have a viewer discretion advice on it, because most of these do. How we're going to do this for this episode, we're going to kick it off with why a truck driver makes an ideal serial killer. Hopefully this doesn't take too much time, but if it does, we can split it into two separate episodes today. Anyhow, let's get into this. When we discuss or even think about a truck driver, we see an ideal person sitting behind the wheel of a Freightliner carrying your supplies that you buy or that you might not but still carry supplies across the country stopping at truck stops stopping at rest stops you know that jazz but not a lot of people actually consider a truck driver ideal for murder and it's crazy that a lot of people don't because when you really think about it, if you travel a lot as much as a truck driver does, you can literally get away with a lot of things that go under DOT's radar. You you don't have to necessarily worry about the whole idea of, you know, am I too underweight? Am I too overweight? You can stop at a truck stop with prostitutes. And sex workers and you know you can kill them after sex and then move on to the next city and then the next and keep on doing that cycle 
I can't tell you why a truck driver wants to murder like this. I don't necessarily think it's actual rage. No, they, they feel different compared to like actual other serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy. And I don't know why they feel opposite of a rage-filled serial killer that can't, you know, quite the flame inside of them. So, I found this article and it talks about the FBI explaining why truck drivers and the profession is a great way to get away with murder. In a recent blog post and accompanying video about the Highway Serial Killings Initiative, the nation's top law enforcement agency noted, if there is such a thing as ideal profession for a serial killer, may as well be a long-haul truck driver. FBI crime, crime analyst Christie, she said, um, and also appeared in the video that they did release, added that truck driving is an honorable profession and that the overwhelming majority of drivers are not murderers. But, as she said, it does happen and that the pattern is unmistakable. If you ever hear about bodies going missing along highways, interstates, you know, it may be a random spear of violence, maybe, you know, a mother and her child is trying to flee from an abusive person and they couldn't get away, type of thing. But then there's the other times where these people go missing, not because that they are really, you know, running away from an abusive person, but they're prostitutes hanging around these truck stops that's off the interstates, the highways, and there's all these other types of people that truck drivers are pertained to killing off of them, and then they go missing and missing and missing, and a lot of these people won't be found, at least for a while. The Highway Serial Killings Initiative dates to 2004 when an analyst from the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation saw a pattern of murdered woman's bodies being dumped along I-40 in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and Mississippi. The cases were referred to the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, or VCAP to see if this body dumping pattern existed on other roads, and it did. And the HSK initiative was established although the FBI did not make the program public until 2009. As to elaborate with the recent blog post and the status of the HSK initiative, an FBI official stated an email the Behavioral Analyst Unit, which oversees the HSK initiative, is declining interviews and questions about the program. When the FBI started this program, 
they have produced a roster of more than 750 murder victims that were found along or near U.S. highways. About 450 potential suspects, many of them truck drivers, have also been identified. Of course, truckers are not the only killers that use open road as their gateway to murder. In her 2012 book, author Ginger Strand says or recounts the stories of non-trucker serial killers, but also states in her chapter on truckers that at least 25 truck drivers at the time that she did recount this were found guilty of being serial killers. At least 25 of them are in prison or have died in prison already and they were serial killers. In their studies, the FBI publicly notes that most victims are women who are living high risk transient lifestyles often involving substance abuse or prostitution. They're frequently picked up at truck stops or service stations as sexually assaulted, murdered, and then their bodies tossed along the highway. And, you know, it's bad enough to assume that every truck driver is a bad person. They're really not, you know, my dad's a truck driver, you know, he's never murdered anyone. I'm not saying he's thought about it, because everyone's thought about murdering someone, but I, I don't think that he would use his profession to become one, and, you know, if, if the percentage of a truck driver, you know, would be, let's say, 75% of truck drivers, are serial killers the people that are afraid of these type of people well look at that 75 percent and just assume majority of truck drivers are bad people here's the gist of it though you know when you're a prostitute when you're using drugs you are an alcoholic at these areas, you make an ideal target for truck drivers. It's like that saying, you know, don't get into somebody's car, you know, if you don't know them. Don't take candy from them. Don't do this or that. It's not the same way because both truckers and prostitutes are on this road. To do their job. You know, prostitutes go have sex. Truckers are lonely, and they see this op- they see this opportunity. And like I said, at the time of the book, at least 25 of them are serial killers in prison. Nothing that went down or up, but. Ideally, majority of these people aren't bad people. They're not going to kill you. 
Todd, uh, Todd Brooke, professor of criminal justice at Bradford University in Virginia and a former Maryland police officer agrees with the FBI's assessment of victim profiles. You know, the whole idea of being a woman, being a needy woman, being a woman that's looking for sex, looking for a good time at these places, are easy prey. And they are. Um, he also said that truck drivers also could be traveling late at night. So when you put two and two together, you have a perfect scenario that they're easy prey, but you don't really get caught. You know, there may be some sort of word flirting around about, you know, this prostitute that's been here. She's seen this guy last and it seemed like this guy was a truck driver, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's what we learned about a little bit in a couple of episodes of season one of After Dark Coast to Coast Killers that was the case where... You know, some prostitutes knew this prostitute was seeing this guy. This guy was a possible truck driver. And the reason that they could get away with it is because there's not a lot of people at night at these truck stops. There's truckers sleeping so they can get up at 4 a.m. to deliver the load in a different city. And everybody that works inside of the truck stops... Aside from prostitutes that work outside, still not a lot of people. And along the highways and interstates, there's not a lot of people traveling on it. And if they're, if a person's on it, it's just that rare sparity. And if a truck driver or anyone, not just a truck driver, but let's say you, you were going to pick up a hitchhiker. Nobody would really notice that hitchhikers been missing because of the low traffic. He also concurs that truck drivers make ideal serial killers because of their mobile job requirement, coupled with the lack of supervision. They have the means of transportation. They have the, the space you could bring them, like the victims, into the truck. You could have activities with them in the truck, sexual or otherwise, whether it's truck or whatever else. You could go to another location and then drop off their body. It's widely accepted in law enforcement circles that some criminals, such as pedophiles, purposely seek out jobs that get them closer to the victims. And a lot of the question is, is this the case with truck drivers? And I, I pretty sure I stated this, but it is. I, I, don't, I don't know if right away, though, the psychology of a truck driver or a person wanting to become a truck driver is murder right away. But we got these guys, you know, small majority, you know, of these guys, I should say, that could have the ideology before getting into trucking school and then they get into trucking school with the same ideology and then when they don't have a training next to them and they're free because they're done with training it's 
I'm going to go find my first victim and murder them. But Burke said that he had not come across that and I think you would have to interview truck drivers who are serial killers and ask them and that would have to be self-disclosed information. I, I don't personally think people would want to say, hey, I'm in this profession because I want to go murder people. You know, I'm using this trucking experience to go murder someone. I don't, at least I wouldn't say that. I don't think you would, but you know, that, that would be like far-fetched and you probably wouldn't get the job. In the FBI blog post, Palazzo Low said that with more trucks on the road, highway, zero killings may escalate. According to the Department of Transportation, the number of truck drivers on the road in the next 20 years is expected to grow exponentially. At the time of this article, which I think it was written in 2016, but this year I seen an article how truck drivers are actually facing a shortage. Now it's not 20 years later from the time of the blog post that the FBI did, but it could be I guess, but um, ideally right now truck drivers are facing a huge amount of shortages. Not a lot of people want to be truck drivers anymore. They, they have family sometimes that are truck drivers or they see these truck drivers complain about their job, how, you know, definitely like places like Walmart overworks their truck drivers to the point where it's, you know, you drop off a load and you got to go, you go to the next city and then you drop off that load or get a load or, you know, X, Y, and Z and there's no stopping and not a lot of people like that idea. Not a lot of people like to be away from their families if they have one or their spouse. So right now, as of this year, truck drivers are facing a shortage. And I I don't think it's necessarily all around because there's different types of what truckers do. You know, you got the cattle truck drivers, you got the fuel, you got, you know, where you can get your ice cream and all of that. But they are facing a shortage. So whether or not that's going to change or pick up, we can't really know. But according to the time of the blog post, 20 years from it, it's supposed to grow. And that, that can be a huge factor when it is coming into a person's ideology of killing someone. More serial killers fill a position of truck driving, whether or not their original intention was the number of truck drivers that become serial killers will probably grow. In the FBI blog post, Christie said that there that with more trucks on the road, 
high-waist-aero killings may escalate. According to the DOT, the number of truck drivers on the road once again is supposed to grow uh, really, really great in the next 20 years. But I do want to mention this. You know, let's think about the future of this job type of thing. We, we have Amazon. I think we got FedEx. We got all these huge delivery companies and even Volvo. And Peterbilt is helping this out. But a lot of trucks are actually becoming autonomous, if I said the word right. Meaning that it's going to be autopiloted. Yeah, whether or not, you know, there's going to be a person in there. You know, may may grow that chance, but it could also shrink it if there's not going to be a truck driver in there, right? It's hard to say, you know, because you want somebody to help work your technology inside of the truck. But anyhow, enough of this side. I'm hoping we have enough time because I I've been speaking about this for. Like 20 minutes feels like so let's get into what our actual episode is and this is about Edward Schrott by the way if you like what you are hearing you want to hear more you want to help support this podcast so we can do bigger things Go follow us. Go listen to our podcast. Relentlessly share our podcast with your family and your friends. That will help us a lot. But without further ado, let's get into this. We got roughly 30 minutes. So let's see if we can get this. So, Edward Arthur Surratt was born August 8th, 1941. He is an American murderer, rapist, and suspected serial killer. He's also a truck driver, keep that in mind. Um, convicted of a single murder and several rapes in 1978. He remains the prime suspect in a series of murders in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and South Carolina in 1977. In 1978, in 2007, after serving 29 years in prison, Surratt had confessed to six murders, but no charges were brought against him, despite the huge amounts of credible circumstantial evidence indicating that he was indeed the perpetrator. Let's kind of see if he has a criminal history. I. I don't think that's necessarily important all the time because, you know, not every criminal starts with a criminal history, like at a, from an early age, but let's see. He was born in Pennsylvania. He was also the son of a successful entrepreneur, Arthur Trott. He spent his childhood and adolescence in a stable environment with his family not having any material difficulties. He attended high school where he studied up to grade 
eight and then graduating with honors and most of his family having positive outlook on him. However, starting in grade nine, he lost interest in studying and began to become a street hood in short, um, which led him to engage in crime in the late 50s. In 1959, he was arrested for disturbing the peace, but escaped with the fine. That same year, due to chronic abstinentism and poor performance, he was kicked out of school. But after being persuaded by his parents, he returned the following year and graduated. After leaving school, he was arrested a second time for disturbing the peace. Then he hit arresting officer in the face. He was convicted, convicted, I should say, of assault, and then sentenced to 14 months imprisonment at SCI Camp Hill Rage in Cumberland County. After his release. He entered Youngstown University with the financial support of his parents. However, once again, he lost studying, and in 1963, he was expelled and then returned to live with his parents. Over the next year, he did odd jobs and engaged in low-skilled labor before being drafted in the Army. In March 1964, he served at Fort Dix in New Jersey, where he was disciplined at least twice for injuring a colleague with a pipe, daring fight, and abandoning his post, then later being arrested by local police for dangerous driving and weapons possession. Schrott was dismissed from the Army in August 1965, then returned to Aliquapa, which is in Pennsylvania, where he inherited the business of his late father, who had died in June of 1965 or sometime around there to complications from throat cancer. Due to his inexperience and various other circumstances, he did go bankrupt and to escape his monetary difficulties, he listed in a battalion in the Marine Corps. And this battalion was the tank battalion and he fought during the Tet Offense against the Fate Calm and in 1969, during one of the skirmishes, he was wounded in the chest and severely concussed following an explosion that ruptured his eardrum. Over the next several months, he received treatment at a military hospital from which he was released in the summer of 1970. In September, Edward was demobilized and returned to the USA. In total, between 1967 and 1970, he took part in total 11 military operations from which he was later awarded the Galatary Cross and the Purple Heart. Then he moved and married. Then he found a truck driving job. During this period, he began to exhibit antisocial behavior and signs of PTSD. In 1973, he was arrested in Virginia Beach Virginia on charges of attempting to rape a 13-year-old boy. And then in March 1974, he was found guilty and convicted after serving less than four years in prison. Rot was paroled and released in January 1977. Then he returned back to uh, Pennsylvania.
So, let's take out what we actually really need out of the whole thing. Pretty much, he has some criminal activity. He grew up probably, you know, what seems to be some people as a great, great, you know, home. He had a wealthy family. He was really interested in school at one point and then just lost interest. Now, whether or not, because I'm not a psychologist, but from the information that I received, it was, it seemed like a lot of his behavior that led to what he did could have been from the war. You know, and I'm not saying it was, but it seems a lot of it does point to the war and the aftermath of it with the PTSD and him becoming distant from society, which a lot of serial killers have that tendency to become. They, they typically don't come from the war, but they have an antisocial distinction. They don't fit in with society. They don't want society around. They don't like society. So they distance themselves and display antisocial behavior. Edward came under police suspicion in April of 1978. At that time, he was working as a truck driver for a company based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And during his professional career from 1977 to 1978, he visited cities in both Ohio and Pennsylvania where a series of at least 27 unsolved murders stirred a moral panic among the population. He was eventually arrested and interrogated without any responsibility for all the crimes, and since there was no evidence linking Strzok to them, he was released. On June 6, he was seen in his hometown as a car that belonged to a 66-year-old Luther Langford who had been killed at his home in Western Columbia, South Carolina, on June 1st, with several blows to the head with a baseball bat. His wife had also been beaten, but she managed to survive. While being arrested, Srot, in spite of several warning shots, fiercely resisted seven officers and managed to escape, hiding in a nearby um metallurgical plant on the Ohio River. The police conducted a search operation which ended in vain and then Strzok was put on a wanted list. While examining the interior of Langford's car back with Strzok's fingerprints were found as well as a number of items belonging to a 30-year-old disabled Vietnam veteran, war veteran Joseph Winman and his wife 29-year-old Catherine, who was beaten to death as well on September 30th of 1977 in the Marshall Township, Pennsylvania home. Edward was also among the suspects in the murder of 28-year-old Frank Ziegler, who was shot with a .38 caliber on September 27th 
a few hundred meters away from the Windman home and murders of 34-year-old Richard Hyde and his wife Donna, who were killed with a shotgun at the Moon Township home on December 4th, as well as the November 20th murders of 29-year-old William Adams and his wife Nancy in Beaver County. Adams' corpse was found at his home while his wife's remains missing. Then, 1977, on New Year's Eve, Sirot was in Breezewood, and 64-year-old Guy Mills and his wife Laura and 36-year-old Jewel Drugger were all killed by a silent with a shotgun. In addition, credit card receipts and a number of other evidence showed that Sirot was in Bournemouth, Ohio, not far from another similar murder occurred, making Prime suspect in the killings altogether. So that's a lot of information once again, but that's when he murdered a lot of people. In short, police started to catch on, but he, they couldn't really catch him yet. No, using credit card though is stupid to a certain extent. And did that lead to his arrest? Let's go find it out. In late June 1978, Sirot traveled to Florida and then stopped in Galano Beach. On July 1st, he um, robbed in, or he burgled into a house and attacked the family of three living in it, beating up the father and threatening the woman, then sexually violating the couple's 15-year-old daughter. After having his way with her, he got drunk and used drugs and fell asleep in the bedroom. The father managed to free himself from his bond and left the house calling the police. Unfortunately, this time, Sirot didn't escape and the pure of his luck ran out. He was arrested without incident. I don't know if he just gave up. You know, it seems like he gave up because all the other times he was arrested, he resisted. He put up a one hell of a fight, it seemed like. As in this one, he just decided to do drugs, do alcohol, and didn't care. During the course of the investigation, on the basis of material evidence, Edward Swat was checked for involvement in at least 18 murders in which the offender had a similar Madias Abrandi to him and the attack in Villano Beach. The trial occurred in the fall of 1970 in Volusa County. On September 20th, a jury verdict found him guilty of burglary, assault involving rape, and threatening with murder. On October 27th, he was sentenced to two life imprisonments an additional 200 years imprisonment. Then, he, following his trial, he was extradited to Lexington, Lexington sorry about that, County in South Carolina, where he was tried for the murder of Langford and the attempted murder of his wife. In the summer of 1979, he was found guilty and was given two additional life imprisonments. 
The first trial, he did confess to the murder of 56-year-old John Shelkins, who was shot with a shotgun at his home in Baden, Pennsylvania on January 7, 1978, as well as attacking his wife Catherine, who was beatly, or who was beaten severely, but she survived. However, in view of him already being sentenced to long-term self-imprisonment, the Beaver County prosecutors refused to prosecute a formerly charged rot in 1980. A lot of people probably will start questioning if that was the right move. I don't know if that was the right move. He was already serving life. You know, yeah, he did confess, but he was already serving life. A shit ton of life. He, he would have died in prison regardless. So maybe it was the right move not to prosecute him. Who knows? For the rest of his life, Edward Surratt had been housed in various institutions across Florida. On May 8th of 1993, during a transfer to a prison in Polk County, he attempted to escape by attacking a police officer, seizing his vehicle, but he was prevented from doing so. Then he was charged with attempted escape and convicted in May of 1994 and received an additional two years and six months of imprisonment. In 2007, Schrott inexplicably confessed to six additional murders, the murders of David and Linda Hamilton, which he had committed on September 20th of 1977, Beaver Township, Ohio, and the murders of 63-year-old John Davis and his 61-year-old wife, Mary, who was killed with a shotgun in Beaver Township of November. 1977. Surratt also had claimed to have killed 17-year-old John Finney, who was shot to death on October 27th, 1977, in Findlay Township, Pennsylvania, while trying to meet his 16-year-old fiancée, Renee Gregor, and then after finding Finney's body, Gregor was reported missing, with her fate remaining a mystery. According to Surratt, he he then took Renee hostage after killing John and then took her to a woods area where he threatened to rape her before shooting her in the mouth and burying the body. Edward agreed to indicate Gregor and Hamilton's burial sites as well as testifying other murders in exchange for a transfer to a penitentiary in South Carolina where conditions were more lenient. His offer was denied However, and ultimately, there was virtually no agreement that was able to be reached. As of August 2020, the 79-year-old Surratt is serving his sentence at the Marion Correctional Institution in Ocala, Florida. So he's, he's still going to die in there. He's not out. But he, he did... All these things he fessed to it. You know, yeah, he didn't do a lot of it on the road. He ruined that for himself. But ideally, you know, a lot of it seemed to occur because of the war. 
because of his PTSD, because of him becoming antisocial from society. We, once again, we see that a lot in serial killers. And, you know, I'm not going to make an assumption, but, you know, it kind of is the same way with some truck drivers out there. They have an antisocial personality because they're always by themselves. Definitely if they're overworked, they're always by themselves. They're always, you know, doing this or that. And it's not good for them. And when we have an instance of a veteran coming back from war, trying to re-enter society, try to find his life again, it's hard. I'm not saying that him murdering people was right, because it wasn't. You know, and I obviously wasn't alive way back then. So I don't know. Like the VA hospital was wrong. I don't know what resources could have helped him if he even decided to take that chance of getting help. But just a sad instance of another veteran and former truck driver, you know, doing these things. And I know that Srot only did one crime over the road and he did everything else after, but Regardless, I did include him because he is still, or he was the truck driver. Anyhow, stay tuned for next week's episode. We go talk about another truck driver that he actually did do all his crimes over the road. And once again, stay tuned for the Postmortem Files episode that drops Wednesday. About Kaylee Anthony, and if you don't know who she is, once again, she was Casey Anthony's daughter. So, anyhow, stay tuned for all of that next week, and I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. <laughs>